Welcome to Live and Learn with Henry and Mike. <laughs> it's okay. Let's just roll with it. People like to have a fun, different intro every time, so they don't they know what they don't know what they're getting. I like it. I like it. We're rolling with it. <laughs> Let's roll with it. All right. So tell them who we are, Henry. We are former executive producers, colleagues, and we were part of the trailblazing generation that was on the frontier of creating and solidifying reality TV as a genre. That is true story. We met in our 20s and now after many years apart and after after both successfully making a career change, we're coming back together. We've it's Oh my gosh, come on. We've experienced. I can't I just got to get it out. We've experienced a ton and we're ready to dish, deconstruct and unpack it all. We're going behind the scenes and pulling back the curtain to share our stories and what we've learned along the way giving you guys a glimpse of the real and reality TV and so much more. Yes, we are, Mike. And today's topic, granting wishes and making a TV pilot and wishing it gets greenlit for series. There was a lot of wishing and granting like allusions to what we're going to, what the show we were doing with Amy Grant, the show guys, speaking of Grant, the show is three wishes. It was on NBC. The host of it, was Amy Grant, five-time Grammy Award-winning artist. We did this hour-long show back in 2005, and Amy leads a team of experts to a small town every week and grants wishes to help make the hopes and dreams, and unbelievable dreams, by the, by the way, of deserving people come true. Some of these deeply personal and heartwarming stories are shared as Amy and her team transform the hopes into life-changing reality. The full spectrum of wishes ranges from paying tribute to an unsung hero to helping a despairing family in the grip of a loved one's life-threatening medical crisis. Some really heavy stuff, but also fun. And inspiring in a lot of different ways. And the live and learn lesson is wishes can come true and can happen in the most unexpected way. So staying open to the possibility can support allowing and delivering them to you, even if it's in the form of the vehicle that delivers it on a reality TV show, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so it's, that is true on so many levels. And uh, you just never know where you're going to find the inspiration. Who who knew, right? Who knew? Um, Or the support and the help. Yeah, exactly. Today, we're going to share the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring a reality TV show from pitch to pilot to series and how there's a whole lot of unknown along the way and a lot of wishing it happens. Yes, we are, Mike. And the content in this podcast may contain some information and discussions of work PTSD, mistreatment, and other traumatic situations. So if you need support at any time, please call or text Mental Health America. Call one 800 273 talk or that's 8255 to reach a 24-hour crisis center or text MHA to 741-741 at the crisis text line. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, Mike. Should we get going? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it more. So just to give everyone some background info, in case you haven't listened to the prior episodes, Mike and I met and worked on a game show on NBC called Weakest Link for about a year or so followed by two years of working on NBC's Average Joe series, which was a which was a four-seasoned reality dating show in which a group of Average Joes tried to win over a girl or a guy's heart. I absolutely love that show, by the way. I think uh, I, every time we talk about it, I just I, I have a lot of really great feelings and memories of the of that show, of all the shows that we worked on, Henry. Um, but Average Joe, there's just something about it. It was I don't know. I agree. Actually, Average Joe brings only a lot of heart joy, and I have a lot of fond memories from. For sure, being sort of young, being just young, and you know everything being kind of new to us was it was just it was incredible experience. And uh, you know, I referenced before when I tell people about the show, there it's almost like going to the Super Bowl your first year of being in the league and just assuming that it's always going to be that great. And it, it really wasn't. But, I feel um, like we were in a bubble, like a bubble of like, this is so amazing, exciting and joy. And I didn't realize at some point the bubble could get burst, if you will. Oh my gosh. It <laughs> popped real good. Um, when we began working on those TV shows, they were already green lit, right? Weakest Link and Average Joe. Actually, I take that back. Average Joe was not green lit. I had for to, a series. Well, we, but I was, 
part of the pitch process to get the show to go to series. Oh, so for development? They wanted, to, they wanted to do the show. Jeff Zucker, who was, who was in charge of NBC at the time, wanted to do a show like The Bachelor with guys like him. I'm using air quotes, with guys like him. And he's sort of like a regular looking dude. And so um, we, myself and another two other producers sat in a room and we pitched, we came with ideas and we pitched the concept to Jeff Zucker. He loved it. And then he greenlit series uh, of six episodes. But, um, but Three Wishes was not that. Three Wishes was a pilot. And for those that don't know, a pilot is a show that has been, the idea has been pitched, but the network isn't ready to take that financial gamble and see, to, to, to give you a full series order, to say, we're going to do eight episodes of this. They're going to say, we're going to do one, we're going to either air it, or we're just going to test it with people, not even to the public in a private session. Or they're going to shelve it. Or, or they're going to shelve it, right. Um, but we're going to just do the one and we're going to sort of see what happens. And it's really um, about proving that concept, see if it will actually work. Exactly, exactly. So uh, that's what happened with, with Three Wishes. We got greenlit to do a pilot and it was our job to make sure that we shined that we made this thing amazing in every possible way so that they would pick it up to a series and we would all continue to work by the way because that's what it is for us right it's our job it's our livelihood if 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 we get hired on a show and then it gets canceled well we got to go find a new job it's much more beneficial for us to uh get onto a series that runs for like three months as opposed to a pilot that's only a couple weeks or a month so then making sure that that pilot is that concept works in formula and is doable and replicated, that's really what the insurance that the network wants because they want to make sure that their money is being put to use. So it's all about crossing those T's, dotting those I's, and proving it that that concept from a piece of paper can then work in the field and then bring it home. Since you're doing some uh, some uh, some sports references, bring it home for a home run. <laughs> that would be you, Mikey. For, bring, a bring it home for a home run. That's right. <laughs> That's right, but I, Henry, I don't think I did that right. <laughs> you didn't. It's okay. It's like you, you, the home run through the field goal. I don't know. Uh, but Henry, talk about a little bit of like the stress levels because what if people don't realize this? Like when when we make a TV show, there's a production company that the network hires or a group of people that the network hires. We we don't work for the network per se. We don't work for NBC. We we are hired by NBC uh, as a team led by an executive producer who either has their own production company or they have at least their own team of people that, that they bring along with them to make shows. So what is the stress level for an executive producer who has been, or a production company who has been hired on to create or to, to produce a pilot for a, a show? So the stress level is definitely different for a pilot versus a series, not only for, I feel like for the executive producer, but also the team. I mean, there's a lot more stress, a lot of unspoken tension to make sure to deliver that concept that it actually works in series. And for us going into three wishes, uh, we had, there was a lot of variables. First of all, we had to find three stories in one Americana type small town. And this meant that we had to find and cast three wishes and be able to make those three wishes come true in one week of production, which one week, that's all we had. <laughs> I mean, it sounds amazing on paper. And then at the end, when you do it, you're like, that's incredible, but it's one week. And then that small town also had to be open to us shooting there and really taking over the town. And then the other component was with three wishes, we had to get the entire town involved in the wish making during the week and then finish. We had a, I don't know if people can't remember, we had a carnival at the end, as well as a concert show by Amy Grant. And we needed to make sure the whole town would come to this carnival and the, the concert, because there is nothing worse than watching a TV show and seeing it empty. So we had to make sure that the rides, everybody was people on rides, playing the games, you know, at the concert and you only have a limited amount of time. So there was a lot of pressure to, um, to do this well. And then also when you're doing a pilot, um, there's no, you don't have the blueprint yet. You haven't broken the back of the show and how it's done yet. And so you're really trying to figure it out along the way. 
and it can be really stressful. And at that point, I believe both of us, Mike, we had moved up on the food chain as well. We were officially producers. And so that was also new for both of us. Um, I might have had one other producer credit, but it was completely still new. And because we were with this team for so long, um, I felt the additional stress because I wanted to make sure that it was successful. And in a lot of ways, I didn't feel like I had the same pressure that like, I didn't have that pressure on average Joe or weakest link because we were, I already came on and it was in series. So that was, yeah. what about you going into production? Um, yeah, no, I had, I was certainly given an el- more elevated role in, in three wishes than I had before. I mean, I had gotten a, a segment producer credit, I think on the last series of average Joe, or maybe a producer. Cre- I don't, I don't remember, but certainly my, my responsibilities were a lot more and, you know, we hadn't really, you, know, we talk about in the intro about putting the, you know, being on the play, the trailblazing path of reality TV. This was a show that was again it never had been it had never been done before trying to do it all within a week's time where we you know according to the storyline of the show we move in on a monday and by you know friday night we've got a carnival and we're granted three wishes and um or maybe it was saturday night but the point is is that we had to make it look huge like you were talking about in today's in today's reality tv there are shows where it's one camera and a, you know, it's a couple of people and and they just sort of do, they do some stuff and it's, it can be on cable and it's not a big, it's not a big deal. When back in 2005, there was only a handful of reality shows on network television, uh, American Idol, Amazing Race, Survivor, Average Joe is one, The Bachelor. These were shows that were big in scale. So those were the kinds of network show shows that made it onto the major networks. So with that comes, like you're saying, Henry, all this extra pressure of making it look huge, not big, huge. So like you said, the having a carnival that look, it's like it's like a film, right? You're you're literally bringing this whole set, making a set out of nothing, as opposed to let's go to a place where there already is a carnival and let's just film at a carnival that's already happening. That's not what we did. We created all of these scenarios out of thin air. And that's where a lot of that pressure that you're referring to, Henry, came from. It was like, it has to look big. It has to look good. It has to tug at the heartstrings. The people have to be TV friendly in a lot of these, which was a whole nother topic. I don't think we've discussed that yet, Henry, but you know, we may want to get into that too. Absolutely. And I think you know what you're saying too, in terms of the scale, there's a difference between network TV, cable, and streaming. And at network in the time versus cable network was everything had to be big, like you're saying in scale, kind of like film big in order to be worthy of that prime time slot. Otherwise, why wouldn't they have a scripted show? Why would they have a reality show? And so it had to be then in terms of the investment that the quality was going to showcase this bigness. And two, I'll say also, you know, the producers, the executive producers that we were working with at the time, they also thought big in terms of scale, movie big. And Mm -hmm. so we understood that from working on average Joe that, okay, you know, we can't just fill fit. Like we can't just bring in half the people for the carnival. If it says we can bring, we can bring in 3000 people. We need to get 3000 people there because otherwise there's going to be like, there wasn't enough people there because of that expectation of just, you know, bigness, if you will. Well, in, in one th- other note, I want to say you're saying that we, we've talked about network versus cable. Henry, at that time, it's not like today where every cable network has tons of reality shows. There was maybe a dozen reality shows at all in total. Like American Chopper, I think, was one of the shows, you know, with the, the, the motorcycle guys. Yeah. And, but, but there wasn't a lot of reality shows. Uh, it wasn't really quite cable. a genre yet. To be honest, right? It, it, it was at that time. It was a fad. I, I, you know, I remember a lot of people going, what, "What's up with this reality TV? You think it's gonna stick around?" And I was just like, "Yeah, I think it's gonna stick around." And you know, t- and as we see to this day, it's it's the majority of programming that's on TV. I mean, the streamers have done a lot of a, a lot of good stuff with with scripted, but but there's a ton of reality. I mean, it's probably 50 50 at this point, I'd say. I would say definitely. And I saw a lot more too, just in the pandemic too, just things shows that they were bringing back. Right. Right. For sure. 
I will. I think you were already on Three Wishes, but when I got a call on Three Wishes, I was told that the casting of the project wasn't going well. So they were still in casting phase. And the EP told me that NBC had said if it couldn't be casted soon, then the project was going to be scrapped. And because this was such a difficult um, project to cast in terms of the pilot, then NBC was seeing that it was potentially not going to be doable in series. And so they were ready to just completely like scrap the whole idea. So I was hired on as a producer. And because the show wasn't casting, I started helping out with casting. And that was my first time really helping out with casting. I hadn't had that experience before. So I was interested in really like learning it. So where were you in that time? So in that time, I had actually um, just been asked to join Glassman Media. Andrew Glassman, who was the executive producer and showrunner of all the Average Joes, um, was he had had success from that. So and I was with him every step of the way. So he had decided to start his own production company, Glassman Media, and had brought me on to be a full time employee, which was for me, um, pretty awesome. I was pretty excited about that. It meant I had unlike the freelance world, I had a steady paycheck with health insurance. And, uh, you know, I had a, um, a solid job. I had signed, I think, a, a year contract. And it was like, holy moly, here I am, like, you know, about to get married and, you know, start my family. And I've got a steady, I have steady employment, and I get to do the thing that I love to do, which is make TV. Um, so I had been part of the process right from the beginning when the concept of three wishes had sort of been floating around and they had asked, um, I believe they had asked Andrew to develop it some more. And so we, we had helped, you know, put together some ideas and then they greenlit the pilot and we were off to figure out exactly what we were going to do, um, or how we were going to do it. And that's, I think when, when, you know, when our, our paths intersected again, Henry. And I think before that, with Average Joe, that was under NBC Studios, wasn't it? Correct. Correct. It was all under NBC Studios. Okay. So I think I was on another NBC studio show and then I came on and I remember um, hearing about in terms of, you know, just the security of the employment and all that. And just remember you being excited. Um, I do remember, uh, I also remember that office really well where everybody was sitting for some reason. Was it the one in Bur was it in Burbank, the, the upstairs one that ha or had upstairs and downstairs? Yeah, and so like you were downstairs and I think you were sitting at like a three top area. I don't know. I feel like I had my own office. I'd get Not I'd, then. I'd, no. Nope. Oh, okay. No. Uh, <laughs> I moved up that much. No, no, you you were sharing it, I think, with Lillian was there. And then yeah, I don't know if Grant, Grant was also there. I think yeah, you Grant. three was there and then there was an office to the side and then another office. And I was in yeah. that back office with casting. Okay. And I will say, so I was there for like a week or so and it wasn't going well. And I hadn't had that experience with that team where I felt just the tension and the stress. Mm, and yeah, I yeah. would go home and I, it was so heavy energy wise. Like I felt like I was getting major headaches and I felt like at home, I felt like, I think I'm going to, I felt nauseous at times just from the stress level. You, and you yeah, go what ahead. No, no I, 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 I was going to say you're bringing up you're you're making me re remember some of that tension in that office. Um, it was like a bullpen of desks all sort of stacked up together. And look, it, let's be real. You know, it was Andrew's company. He was the one we talk about as a pilot. You have the stress of trying to make this thing go. So he was under a ton of pressure from the network. And I remember specifically he would walk around and he want, he needed people to be on the phones. He would point his finger and go, you know, and then make the phone symbol with his hand and go like point and put the hand to his face. And like, you need to be on the phone. You need to be on the phone. You need to be, I want everybody on the phones. Like he was stressing out and it was not fun. It was a very tense situation. It was, and I actually, I had forgotten about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> and I just had a flashback like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh. It was not fun. It was it, like, when can we go to lunch and like get out of here? It was like, a, it was a pressure cooker. It was a 
pressure cooker and it was not fun. It was the first time too, just being with, cause we had been with that group for, I mean, that was for, I mean, for like a couple of years, a few, like a few years, like three years or so. And, and it was and the first to, time. It was like the, I, I feel like that is when the bubble kind of burst. That's right. A hundred percent. But, but the thing is, is like, here we were on average Joe as a group and we, we kind of didn't really know much better, but we were having fun and we were making it. It was long hours. We worked 31 days in a row without a break and it was exhausting. But when it, when it, when we got the green light for a second season, it was like, we're going to go to Hawaii. What? Like, oh my gosh, like it's just the wave. So this wave of, of excitement and energy just starts to build even more. And it's a nice little reference because of Hawaii and and all that, but but, so it it builds (laughs) even more. And then by that time, then the show airs and it's a huge hit and we're getting, we're, we're high-fiving and everything's great. We're on easy great. street, easy we're on easy. street. Then we, get, then we get picked up for a third season to bring one of the bachelors from the first season, Adam Mesh, who everybody loved. And it's like, we get to go back to Palm Springs where it all began. And now Adam's in charge and we get to do it all over again. And it's like, it's still exciting. And then they pick up, pick us up for a fourth season. And it's like, we, we, it's incredible. We get to go to Tahiti. We're, we're on a yacht. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And, and so it was like, we were almost, it was like this honeymoon, right? This honeymoon phase of everything being so wonderful and great. Again, not to say there wasn't moments of stress throughout, but it was, it was just different though. It was different. And And we were having fun. Like you said, I mean, I remember how in the office we would sing the Top Gun songs. Of course. (laughs) And we we just had a, I mean, it was great. It, it was um, the energy was just so great and positive is because we it was a, a lot of it was new to all of us and we were going through it together. And then as soon as that idea of a pilot where Andrew could grow his company and sort of take it to that next level and all that stress came along, you know, I, listen, as a kid at that time, I didn't I couldn't understand that. I just felt like and I think none of us could. Andrew felt it. Andrew was 10 years older than us. So, you know, he was, which is crazy to think about. He was 35 or 36 when we did, you know, average Joe and, you know, but you know, he was feeling that pressure and we were just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what's the big deal? Like we, you know, we, we just did all this fun stuff and we did a great job. Like, why are you having this stress and not knowing that, well, he just started his own company. So he's got a bunch of overhead. He's paying four people, five salaries full-time. He's got an office that he's trying to rent. He's got, you know, trying to grow this business. And, um, and he probably could have used some help in learning how to manage or understanding how to manage his emotions. I I think that, I think, you know, this is something that we probably can talk about more in depth. I do think that in terms of the industry um, development for managers, and when shows are greenlit, and if you don't have any kind of management training and personal development, that there should be some kind of course requirements because it's the, these creators, these executive producers, they can be so creative and be so amazing yeah. in terms of television. It doesn't mean that they know how to handle stress and then right. handle like a hundred people managing on top of that in terms of what's going on. So then it can become a real, the, the environment can become toxic at times in terms of the amount of stress and tension in the place. And, and for a lot of our listeners who have worked in the industry, there are former colleagues and people who, who transition their own careers and people who are still in the business, they all know exactly what we're talking about. And, and we could all probably write a list of 10 executive producers and all come up with very close to the same list of who those people who didn't know how to deal with that stress and who were known as tyrants and screamers and yellers and run a very toxic set. And to your point, Henry, they could have used that, that training and how, and maybe you and I would still even be in the business if, if those people knew how to manage their, their own, their own emotions and their team. I think too, because it can't, it, like it just, I had so much compassion for Andrew. It couldn't have been comfortable. And I'd never seen him so stressed like that. And I will say like, there was that one week when it just wasn't going well. And I went home and I, I had already been practicing meditation and I did a meditation and I was like, okay, this is just going so sideways because every day, and I don't know if you remember this, like basically every day we would get into a circle and we would be pitching our stories 
Mm-hmm. And our, we would be pitching our towns and our stories. And every day, Andrew would be like, no, 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 no. And he just, I was like, oh my God, like he's got, he's so stressed. I just could feel like at some point I'm like, this is not healthy at all. And so I went home one night and I was meditating and I was like, okay, how, like, how do you solve this problem in terms of what we need to do? And I was like, just give me an idea. And so I went to sleep on it. And I then woke up the next day and I just felt really light and grounded. And I went to work just with an idea. So instead of finding, um, instead of trying to find the stories within a town, I was like, okay, how can I, how can I have the town tell me its stories? And I was led then to, okay, I should just call the film commissioners of these small towns and pitch what we're doing and ask them send me your top 20 stories. Like, why am I trying to make it difficult in finding these stories? So and smart. The, yeah. And the process ended up becoming a lot faster. And Jerry Day, the film commissioner for the county of, um, is this Tuolumne County. Tuolumne it County. Tuolumne County. That's right. Tuolumne County. He got back to me immediately with the stories. And the first one I read, I just had a feeling about it. It was about this active young athlete. She's 10 years old, Abby Castleberry. She was severely injured in a car accident and it had been a life-threatening like situation. And she was, I don't know if you remember, she was a standout athlete and her dad had been driving her home from gymnastics when it happened and 911 was called. The operator was trying to figure out how to get a rescue helicopter there and it was difficult weather conditions. So they didn't know if they could do it and she needed to be flown out because there was a certain type of hospital she needed to be at because her injuries were so severe and a hospital and an ambulance would take too long. So eventually that 911 operator figured it out how to do it. And then after that 911 operator um, figured it out and got off the phone, she then her boss came in and said, you know, you were just organizing the rescue for your daughter. And it was Abby's mother. And she had no idea that it was her daughter that she was arranging the helicopter for. And it's just a, it was a complete like gut wrenching story. And it's the same time. I just was like, wow, you feel really compelled to like want to help in any way you can. And so, and at that time, I don't know if you remember, but Abby really needed help. She was wearing a helmet to protect, you know, part of her exposed skull from further injury and she needed an operation. And at that time they didn't know um, how the operation was going to happen, the money, the doctors, all that. And so they, they were overwhelmed and needed community support and help. So I read the story and I just felt like, wow, this feels like something. So I felt really moved to share. And I ran up to um, one of the senior producers office and shared the story with him. And I wanted to hear his thoughts because this is someone that I had worked with for years and I assisted quite a bit. And as I moved up in the ranks and gained more experience into producer role, I did notice that there were dynamics that started to change between us. And I didn't know why or understand until later. I still remember to this day though, Mike, I was so eager to share and hear his thoughts about this potential story in town. And I shared it. And then he looked up from his desk. He shook his head no and said with a real condescending tone that like ripped through me. He said, this is definitely not it. And the EP won't go for it. And let's stop wasting time. And then he looked back down at his computer and there was no conversation. And I just kind of stood there like stunned. And I was like, oh, I was, dis- I was dismissed. And yeah, so yeah. I left, I felt really dejected. I walked out of the office, down the stairs. And I was telling myself the whole way, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And I think I even passed you. I was like, don't cry. I was trying to hold my lip, don't cry. And I just went into the bathroom. I locked myself in and I was like, oh my God, I should just quit TV. I should quit TV because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a story instinct. And I eventually calmed myself down. And then later on, we went into our afternoon pitch meeting where we were in the circle. And I don't even know, like 10, 20 people or so. And everybody was pitching their towns, their stories. I felt like really indifferent and shut down. And by the time I got to me, like I was talking in a whisper. I couldn't even talk. I just felt so shut down. And I pitched the story of Sonora, Abby Castleberry and the other stories. And I said how I changed my tactics to call the film commissioner. I had 
the film commissioners send me the stories. And then all of a sudden, um, Andrew was like, yes, yes, yes. That is the Andrew, story. The, the EP for everybody who's who's not following. So sorry. So yes, no, Andrew, okay. who's the showrunner on the show, he said, yes, that's the town. That's the that's the story. Henry, I want you to go home, go packing, go to that town and let's see more of these stories. And it was just like that real like for me, it was like such an eye opening moment of like, okay, I need to probably unpack what just happened earlier later on, because mm -hmm. I did feel like something was shifting. I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, but then it was also, it was exciting for me because I was like, oh, there's an opportunity that I'm getting now that I hadn't had before. Um, I will say though, what I noticed now I can see though, it's just people don't even realize, you know, when you're mentoring people that as people are shifting in roles, like how to continue that kind of teamwork aspect that can be beneficial to everyone. Do you know what I mean? And I think again, yeah. what you're saying, what you said before in terms of management skills. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, you said you hit on so many different things there, Henry. And, you know, one of the things that stood out to me about, about that situation was everything really is so subjective. You know, here you were, you had this gut feeling about this story and while you were telling the story just now about Abby and the accident and the mom and the helicopter, and I, I'm go, I'm getting chills again, thinking about how incredible that story was and knowing what the ending was because we, we, you ended up getting that idea pushed through and the whole show was obviously success that the pilot led to a series and we went on to make seven more episodes. And, um, but, but you pitched that idea to somebody and, and no offense to, to the person you pitched it to, he was probably under, he's under a ton of stress too, because he's got to report to Andrew and Andrew, he was got to report to the network executives and, you know, all the, all the dominoes, but you, your idea, you had a gut feeling that that was, that, 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 that was a great story your gut was right. Someone told you that you were wrong. And, and, and the, the thing that I want to shine a light on right now that I, ha I let happen to me several times over my career was I allowed that one moment to, to, to put out my, to, to dampen my sparkle, right. To, to give, get rid of my sparkle. And it's so important if I could, you know, just convey a message to young creatives out there. It's don't listen to other people's opinions when it comes to your gut, right? If you have a gut, you know, it doesn't mean tell people to, to, to F off and to, you know, to, to just dismiss everybody. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you feel strongly in your gut, like you felt about Abby and her story, Henry, if someone feels that strongly about something, it, there's probably a good reason why you feel that way. And um, you you still went through and pitched, right? You may not have been as vocal and as excited about it, but you could have just said, oh, I, got, I got nothing, but you still found it in your, in your willpower and your heart and your, your energies to, to go out there and still put it out there and look what happened, right? If you would have just given up, who knows if we would even be having this conversation today because three wishes might not have ended up going. And um, so I, I kudos to you for for finding the courage to continue on and 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 push your your follow your gut. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I will say there was a moment where I thought I should just quit and go home. And yeah. I felt that feeling, you know, that scared feeling. I felt the little girl kind of coming up. And I also felt, you know, just wow, I feel like I'm just being put back in a box. Okay, how can I then? I think though, um, because I had such a, uh, just in terms of my relationship with everyone and we had been together for so long and I had made a commitment and I did also just my, my work ethic, I didn't yeah. want to quit halfway through. And that really, you know, got me to the seat, even when I didn't want to show up, it, yeah. it helped me show up. And I will say to your point in terms of you know, listening to your gut. And then also just understanding just because, you know, other people are going through things and even the, with that person, yeah, they were completely stressed. I mean, the whole office was, it was a ball of tension and stress. And when you described Andrew going around and making the, um, pointing the finger, being on the phone, 
it was like that. And now I can look back and say, everybody was shutting down from the stress. Mm -hmm. And so that person had no idea because he was in survival mode and the stress was weighing him down. And so I have compassion for him, which is then, you know, just in us doing the show, just kind of teaching people just to kind of leave space for compassion, not only for yourself, but others, because you really don't know what somebody else is going through unless you, you know, step into their shoes. So, you know, those are all perfect. You perfectly said the, the one caveat I'll say in all of this, what we're talking about here, and, and again, some of our audience members will, will definitely relate to this because they were in our industry, is at the end of the day, we're making television, right? We're making entertainment. And some of these people were and would and continue to treat it like it's life or death. These Like the stakes are so high, like people will die if we don't pitch a great idea or get, or get the, you know, get, get the shot we need. And that was something that I always tried to keep in perspective when we worked on a show was like, I, I need to, I, like, we're, we, we are just making a TV show, right? We're just making entertainment. We're not doctors. We are not, you know, scientists who are trying to cure cancer. We are literally just making a show. And the amount of stress and tension and negativity that continually would come around us and be and just permeate into our 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 systems was just it's unhealthy and um it doesn't mean you don't you can't take the job seriously and do a good job or a great job for that matter it just means that you have to be able to put it all in perspective and take a step back in those moments and go all right let's take a deep breath we're all here. We're all creative people. We're all good people. Let's have fun and let's get back to the reason why we are doing this. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that if you watch any sort of sports movies or, or things, you know, you watch the star athlete, whenever they go through a slump or something, the coach or the, or the parents will always say, Hey, you're playing a game. Just remember, we're like, we're in the front yard, you know, tossing the ball around or in the backyard, tossing the ball around. Just go back to that. And that always releases the tension and brings and grounds them and brings them back and they go out and they perform great but in tv like it's like the it's like the executive producers can't do that because i don't know why but they're it's like they're incapable of doing that well i think it becomes because it's you know when we saw the shift with andrew going from working at nbc studios to then having his own company it became like that company became bigger than anything to prove that that company could do well which then you kind of lose sight on why you're doing this in the first place, which is about the show, about the people, about that first time enjoying, like you're saying in terms of playing ball, if you forget how much you love playing ball, like playing baseball, then you shouldn't be playing the game anymore. Right. It should be about that. Even if it's difficult or you're finding things hard or stressful, which it can happen in the creative process. I mean, there's plenty of times where, I was in post and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how this episode is going to come together. And you have all these pieces of the puzzle and you don't know how they're going to form a story. And you're in that frustrated kind of creative process. But then all of a sudden, a couple hours later, the light goes on and it shines and you're like, oh my God, there it is. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's a great feeling. Yeah. It's a great feeling. And you see the puzzle and it's exciting. Mm-hmm. And when you take a team through that, and bringing the joy of like, I call it the story dots, like figuring out what the story dots to make the puzzle. Yeah. When you're figuring it out and you're coming in a collaborative space and bringing joy, even if there's stress, it just makes a difference and it doesn't pull apart the whole team, if you will. Yeah. No, I do want to talk about um, some of the fun things though, that we did do. Oh yes. And you know, so Mike, you and I were in charge of, um, we're in charge of a few things, but one of them I feel really proud of was the carnival and also getting the whole town to participate. I thought that was a lot of fun. What about you? No, absolutely. Uh, for the, we'll find out ne- in another episode next week that I ended up staying on and working on the entire series, the other seven episodes where you didn't, but Henry, that, that first episode, like we said, a pilot was really the blueprint um, of, of how to do it. But, but what I, the role that I ended up taking on was a role that you and I started together, which was, we were sort of like the, the mayors of the show, 
right? We would go uh, around the town from small business to small business. We would create flyers and we would literally introduce ourselves and, and go in and say, hey, this is, I'm Mike. This is Henry. We're producers on the new show. And, and of course, we're in a small town, so everybody knows. They've heard about the show. We're in the local paper. We'd go to the local radio station. We'd talk about the show. And, and, and because we were putting on these carnivals and this wish tent and, um, and these big events, our goal, because remember, this is a, a reality show that, that, that does not have extra. We're not paying to have extras like uh, on, a, on a movie set. So the extras are really the, the citizens of the town. So we are asking everybody to show up. We need to look like a thousand people at this wish tent. We needed, uh, you know, a couple thousand people at, in a football stadium. We needed, you know, a couple thousand people at a carnival for, to, for a concert. And so we're going around and it's, we're, we're introducing ourselves and, and making sure that these people are excited and energetic and want to participate and, and really like selling the idea of being part of our show. And so for me, um, that was my favorite part was connecting with the local citizens and, and sort of seeing the excitement and feeling like, you know, wearing our, our badges and our, you know, with our NBC logo on it and, and feeling really proud of like, we were these um, ambassadors for the network and this, this TV show. And, and also by the way, proving or disproving the Hollywood stereotype of a Hollywood producer. And that was something I took a lot of pride in was not being, you know, what was being very genuine and being very, giving and helpful and, and making them feel like they were included and really, um, just making, making them feel valued. And, uh, I, I loved every, I loved all of that. And that was absolutely my favorite part of it. I loved it too. I really felt, um, it was so fun and I loved meeting everyone and I have really fond memories of us going from business to business. And part of it was, not only do we, we, were we kind of like the welcoming committee, like saying hello to everybody, introducing them to the show. We also had to get releases signed because part of it was Amy Grant was going to go to business to business and just do pop-ins. And so we had to get the clearance beforehand in order for them to do that. We never right. knew when they were going to do it. So we had to make sure that it was done. And then also, um, you know, part of it, we had to figure out, we didn't know how to, like we were just told, okay, we need all these people here at these days, these times. And we were like, okay, how do we do this? And I remember we were like, okay, radio station, we can go to the radio station. And we're yeah. like, okay, well, let's bring, I think we brought, do we bring Carter Booster House to the I, radio station? I can't remember station? it was Carter or Eric. It might've been Eric, it might've been, it might've been both. So I remember though, we were like, oh, let's see if we can get on the radio station and, and let them know we'll bring one of the hosts. And that was really exciting. And then, yeah. um, another one we were like, okay. Um, we were another one of the wishes was, um, they had had the gym teacher at the local high school had been sick and she had passed away from cancer and she had been wanting a new field for, for the, the sports teams, because the field that they had a lot of rain would come in. And so the kids were, um, twisting their ankles and getting hurt. And so they had needed this, um, specific type of field by like field turf and it's a really expensive field. And so it was a million dollars, a field costs a million dollars is how much it was the, the sort of the value of getting that field replaced. And so that was one of the wishes that we were going to grant in working with, um, working with field turf. And so we had to, Mike and I had the job of getting 3000 people to the field. I think it was on like a Wednesday or Thursday night at night, which in a yeah, small school town, night. yeah, school night, everyone's home. On, like it's a, it's a small town. They're at home. They're not coming out on a school night yeah. and it was raining. It was a terrible storm. <laughs> the day that we were filming. And so Mike and I were like, how are we going to do this? We really need to get people invested. And so we also came up with the idea to go to the high school because they were having a pep rally and yeah. we went and joined the pep rally. And I think we brought Carter with us. I think yeah. we brought Carter with us to the pep not rally. That, not that any like high school kids in 2005 knew who Carter Osterhouse was, but no. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, but now they probably do. <laughs> And Maybe. so we, I just remember being like, oh my God, this is so amazing. We're at a pep rally and this is our job and we're getting people excited and invested. And, um, and then that night or the night, I think it was like the next night, um, Carter came in 
on a helicopter that was landing on their football field with 3000 people from the town there in the rain. Well, well, hang on, Henry. Like the, the, the fact is we went out and did all this outreach. It's just like throwing out a, a, an, a party invite and not with no one RSVPing. You don't know who's going to show up if anyone's going to show up. It's so, so, true. so, so, so the, the, the night of the, of the big event is happening and it starts and it's raining and we have no idea. We spent the last three days going from business to business and pep rallies. It's and basically and canvassing. Canvassing the whole town. And we have no idea what's going to happen. Now it's raining. And so we, we as t- it starts to get dark and dark, we're like, oh boy. And so no then, one's going to show. No one's going to show. So people start showing up. People start rolling in and it starts to fill. You see a trail of cars getting in the parking lot and we're like, oh my God, it's happening. They're wearing ponchos. They're like umbrellas. Like everybody, they're out. And we filled the stands. It was crazy. It was crazy. And too, um, because there was a delay on the helicopter, basically um, there was a there was um, a contract challenge with the field yeah. that Lewis Fenton, who's one of the producers, he had to fly to Canada with Carter to actually um, renegotiate the deal and get it signed. <laughs> and <laughs> that was real. That was not that was not part of the show. That was a, a real thing. That was a last minute 11th hour hiccup. And the only way to get it resolved was for Lewis, shout out Lewis Fenton, to go out and fly to Canada like last minute to to straighten the deal out. And he was able to do it. And by the way, we were in California, so we had to fly from California to Canada, and then they had to fly immediately back to then get into the helicopter so that the helicopter could land and Carter could then announce that, yes, the field was going to go through. So not only did we not know if anybody was going to show up in in the stands and it was raining, we didn't know, A, if Carter and Lewis were successful because they were flying at the time. Right. And there were so many unknowns. And then we also didn't know, like, are they even going to get in the helicopter? Are we going to be able to land this in the rain? Are people going to stay? Because it was like hours. They were in the stands yeah. for hours in the yeah. rain. And you, you, you know what, Henry, something else I want to just point out. And in, in, as we're talking about this, we've both referenced this in, in earlier episodes is some of the tools that we've learned from reality TV that has transferred over to our current careers. And one of the things that I said was resourcefulness. And it was absolutely this, you know, this was one of the shows, obviously on average, Joe, the resourcefulness was, was through the roof, but um, it was definitely a situation where in, in Sonora, the level of resourcefulness was absolutely incredible. Being on that show uh, in being in having that specific job where it was like, okay, we have to do a carnival. Okay, we have to fill a, a stadium with people. Okay, we have to get a bunch of people to show up at a wish tent. How are we going to do all this? No one's ever, no, there's no blueprint. There's, like you said, there's no Bible or instruction manual on how to make it happen. So we just get creative. Let's go out into the, you know, to the, to the radio station. Let's go to a pep rally. Let's, you know, let's, let's, we just figure it out. And, um, figure it out. and there was no one telling us how to do it. We just were assigned these jobs. And then you're like, okay, we just got to go do it. We have our piece. Let's go, go make it happen. And, and it was, uh, and that pattern continued on through, uh, through the the other seven episodes in the other towns, which, you know, I could fill it. We could fill up 12 podcasts with what happened on the other towns, but we won't. Um, so anyway, we, we were successful in pulling off the show. Um, yes, we pulled, we pulled together a carnival too. We don't have to get into all the details of how we, how we did that, but we absolutely put a carnival. I will say though, we did one of the things, the other things we did was we made a ticket. Yes, we did. We, we, um, so, uh, where we were having the carnival, there was only, I don't even remember how many three or 4,000 people that were able to go because the restrictions with the fire marshal. Right. And so you and I were like, okay, how are we like, how are we going to know? So we came up with the idea to make tickets. And so we created a three wishes carnival ticket, which that was fun. And then we got to give those out as well. And it ended up working in terms of, you know, being in line with how many people we could have in, because what we didn't want to happen is the day of the shoot, have too many people and then get shut down from the fire marshal while we were filming. Yeah. I remember I made that on my, in PowerPoint on my MacBook and, uh, and we had them numbered and printed out at the local printer. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, 
we just we just made st- we produced that's what we did we just produced stuff and uh and it was just really exciting and when it was all done um it was just a unbelievable and i think anyone who's worked on a project whether it's tv or any sort of you know a group project in college or even in you know in in professional work you have a big project of a pitch or a meeting or something that you prep for for a long time and then it's done and you have that feeling that exhale moment of ah we did it and you did it and you did it uh, you did a great job too and it was a success um that's how we helped a lot of people out it was so inspiring it was extremely inspiring and, um, and had fun doing it along the way or, you know, give, except again, many moments of stress and freak freak outs. But, um, but there were a lot of really fun moments that we were able to kind of take advantage of in those moments and live in the moment and, and, and make sure that we were, you know, enjoying ourselves while we were doing it. And, uh, and so that was really great. I remember one, one little note about that, um, there was a little diner. I forget what it was called. I think it was like the Goldmine Cafe or some little tiny diner on Main Street. I remember um, that. They had, the best, they had the best breakfast. And one morning, um, you know, Amy Grant is married to Vince Gill, who at, at the time was even a bigger artist than Amy Grant, a pl- multi-platinum selling artist, multi-Grammy award winning. And uh, I went in there to get breakfast and he's sitting there and he's like, hey, come sit down with me. I think I was, was I with you, you that day? You might've been with, with you. me. I was, was with like, you. There's like yeah. three or four of us in, yeah. you know, in there and we just sat down and we just had breakfast. And he with was Vince so Gill. nice. Yeah. He was just like a dude. He, I feel like he's wearing like flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt. And he's just like, Hey, come sit down. And like, I'm like, I'm having breakfast with Vince Gill. Like what? Like, I'm not, I was a huge fan of his, but I just, I knew how successful he was. And, um, I don't know, just like little, little cool things like that were really exciting. And, uh, and I'll never forget, you know, forget those moments. And, um, yeah. And I think too, like being in a small town, it just really connects you with that, like, you know, just Vince Gill sitting there and inviting you in that it's not about this big Hollywood process. And I really felt like also with the community, not only did we go to that diner a lot, but there was also that coffee shop across the um, hotel that we would go to mm-hmm. that had really great yeah. coffee. And they also had pottery too. I don't know if you remember that. And they, the owners, gave us so many suggestions and they helped us out a lot in terms of people to go see. And then also Jerry day, the film commissioner, he was like there with us, like every step of the way, he was helping us, guiding us, helping us to get things signed, get things moved through. And we even, I don't know if you remember too, um, the police ended up helping us a lot too, because we had to get the 911 call released. But then we also would go, I don't know if you, were you, I think you were with me when we got the tour of the station. Yeah, you think, wait, 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 you think I was with you when we got a tour of the jail? Yes, I think. Are you, you kidding were. me? And I had guys I screaming at me behind I really bars, I was whistling. Yes. They were yelling at me and whistling at me. And maybe you, I feel like they're probably more whistling at me, but like, it was so scary. I I remember looking down because there was a I remember it was two stories and we like walked out in like a balcony and we popped our heads out and it was just it was just chaos. They were screaming at us and I looked down and they were um walking. There was guys like just walking around in circles and I never forget that. It it it, it really like hit uh, hit home and was like these are guys like these are caged animals. They it was like they were like a lion walking around the cage like circling in the zoo and I could not believe it. I was so terrified about that. I was terrified. <laughs> And two, because they said to us, okay, we just want to let you know, you just never want to get caught in that area. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I think you and I looked at each other going, okay, we, we can, can go now. We can go now. <laughs> We're good. We're good. I was like, wow. Um, so that's definitely an unforgettable experience. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I was just like the community that really helped us out. I'm just so grateful for that. That being said, um, I think I did, I was researching before this and I do want to share with you. So I started reading articles on Three Wishes when it premiered, and I just find it interesting to read about something where a reporter doesn't really have the firsthand experience of it, yet's writing from what they think they know. And so a couple articles said, one of them said, Wish Granter is a role Amy Grant has been priming for her whole life. She said, I have never in my life felt so equipped for a job ever. She then goes on to say that she told her mother after landing the gig, I have never walked into a recording studio and felt like I was completely adequate for the job ever because I don't have a high range 
and I can't do a lot of vocal trips, but with this, I just felt very equipped and it was really great. And I just had like a moment. I was like, God, it's so interesting. And I really, I loved working with Amy Grant and she just was so nice and down to earth. Yet I do look from it from a different lens now. And I just think it's so interesting how often like um, with hosts or even celebrities where something was produced and put together and then they just kind of roll in and they just completely take the credit for it. When meanwhile, <laughs> it was like all these producers, these production teams, the town is kind of like, they're like Santa where their job is made easy for them. And we're the, these little elves ultimately like granting the wishes, but then Santa can just fly in on that day and he's getting all the glory. Yeah. I don't know, like it was, it was, I had a moment. I just like had a moment like, wow, this is so interesting. I've never thought about it. And I've probably read those articles years ago. What do you think, well, Mike? No, I, I agree with you a thousand percent, but you know, I always made this sort of analogy over the years was like, listen, our job is to set up the pins and then it's the produ the executive producer or the, or the talent to come in and just knock them down. Right. And, and that's what our job, our job is professional pin setter uppers, right. <laughs> and, or elves. And, um, and, and look at, there is certainly a, a piece of ego that's involved in all of us for whatever we do. And you do want to be thanked and appreciated for, for your hard work and your efforts. But yeah, I mean, when it comes to the host, especially a show like this, where there is so much heavy lifting that was going on behind the scenes for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then to just have the, the talent roll in, you know, for a couple of days and, and hang out in their, you know, their dressing room or whatever, and pop out, you know, for the few hours that they need to be out there. Um, and then be on the cover of the front page and, you know, of the, of the newspaper and, and be on TV to press tours. And, you know, like, I know that stuff is not easy to do and it's, it's stress, whatever, but like, yeah, it, it was, uh, no, that's, that's a, it's a funny, like point to bring up Henry, you know, both ha ha and sort of like, wah, wah. Hmm. <laughs> I do. So with that being said, I just want to give a shout out then to all you people out there. All you producers and anyone else, all the crew, anyone else who has worked nonstop behind the scenes to make the impossible happen, especially in TV. If you feel like you haven't been validated or credited, we are recognizing you. We see you. We see you. We see the people behind the people and we recognize you. Absolutely. We've been the people behind the people for a really long time. And I think that's part of the reason that's a main reason why we're doing this show. And it's not just television. It's any business right? You're an employee of a company. Well, there's one person at the top of that company that you're making their dreams come true, right? You're working your tail off. They may or may not even know who you are, whether you're a, at a big corporation or you're at a, you know, a small mom and pop, they'll probably most likely know who you are, but you're working your tail off and sacrificing your life, your livelihood, your happiness. Hopefully you're getting some happiness out of it, but you're sacrificing a lot of things to make their lives happy and their lives fantastic. And so, um, yeah, in production, there's a whole army involved of, of making these things, you know, go. And, um, you know, it's important that you get recognized for that, I think. Yeah. So I recognize you too. And speaking of that, so there are two sides to every story and there can be a story within a story. So I definitely want to talk about something else that we've discovered along the way, Mike. And so during the making of three wishes, you and I both discovered that, um, the kind of like the bubble of the amazing environment that we had been living in for years and years had sort of shifted, um, that all of a sudden, you know, within the story, within a story, there was our professional life. And then there also was in terms of like what was going on in the personal world. And so through this, we've discovered that there were parts where um, I remembered a lot of things that happened in terms of three wishes. And you had moments where you're like, I don't really remember these things. And it was just interesting that it's like, okay, so if I have more memories of the production, yet your memory, like you have such an incredible memory for like, especially for details, like you can remember more finite details than I can. And so I just, there can be moments where all the stress and things that are happening that someone can have like work PTSD happening, or maybe some kind of signs of trauma or some kind of like disassociation or something like that. And obviously I'm not a therapist, so I can't diagnose, 
yet I just want you to kind of speak to this. And, you know, I know that we're, we're probably going to do this in another episode, talk about more, but I just kind of want to hand it off to you to bring it up. Well, yeah, I think, I think we just want to just basically tease it for, for our next episode, which is, um, the, the emotional roller coaster and the, the games that were played, the political games that were played, um, behind the scenes, uh, you know, internally that had a really huge, huge effect on me and my happiness and my, my life. I mean, these are, these were things that I went through on this, that, that started a little bit before the show and, um, and came to fruition throughout the rest of the series that we produced and ultimately led to some really big life changes for me, um, that I was really affected by, um, I, it, you know, these, these moments put me into a very deep and dark depression and, uh, it, it put my marriage, uh, at risk. It, um, it did a lot of things, a lot of not good things. You know, we joked, you know, a, a few minutes earlier about all the, the fun things that were part of it. And those are absolutely true, but you know, there was, there was some darkness and, you know, if it's okay with you, Henry, I, I, I'd love to be able to discuss that next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, then do you want to talk about, you know, in terms of the live and learn any, you know, any terms of like, what did you, what can you take away from this? What, what kind of advice? Well, I, I, here's the thing, Henry, I think it would only be fair to talk about the live and learns, the highs and the lows after we talk about the lows, right? The real lows. So why don't we put a pause on our live and learns for, for this week and we'll, we'll go through it at the, on the other side of, of the next episode, once we sort of get through it. Okay. I like that. And then what about gratitude? Can you give any kind of gratitude for, for anything? From this well, experience. yeah. I mean, look, Three Wishes gave me an incredible perspective on what life is like outside of a big city. Um, it really inspired me to uh, to get it, to, to travel and to see other cities and, and, and know that people in L.A. are not the way everybody is around the country. Um, and so I'm thankful and I have tons of gratitude for um, for that show and that experience to be able to be put in that position in specifically the position that you and I were in Henry. I don't think everybody else in that crew, maybe they got it a little bit by eating at the local restaurants and meeting, you know, mingling a little bit, the locals, but you and I really got to know people in that town and got to really spend time with them. And so I'm super grateful that we were able to be in that position. And, and as a result, I got to do that, like I said, in, in seven other towns across the country that, that, ultimately led to me making a huge life change. So I have a lot of gratitude too, for similar where it, I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts in new England, and I really feel like it uh, rekindled and reconnected me to what I love about small towns. And I just, I love a main street. I love, I love getting to know the community and I I'll admit I was a cheerleader in high school and elementary school, and I love cheering for the team. And so I really felt like I was cheering for the team and I loved that. And also I just was so inspired that we could do something that can help people and makes me feel really emotional that, you know, seeing Abby, you know, get the surgery she needed and her family get the help and support. And I think now that I'm older, I think I really understand more so now. I don't think I quite understood back then because I was so young still. And then also I like the, the fact that the high school got a new field and, you know, and it just that it can, they can still, after all these years that we brought them something and the gift is still there for the town. And I think that's really amazing. And I also learned that reality TV can be inspiring. And I have so much gratitude for that experience that knowing that it could be inspiring and it could actually be utilized in a way that can bring a lot of good to people. And I hadn't known that before. And after um, the pilot, the pilot that did get greenlit to series, I was also grateful for the pilot too, because I had never worked on a pilot and just understanding that difference and 
I had more appreciation than for series. And so after this, I got hired on for Biggest Loser and it was amazing. I continued then being kind of that inspirational space while you went on to do the series for Three Wishes. So I just have a lot of gratitude for all of that. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. So, all right. So let's wrap it up. Let's do it. Thank you for listening. Join us next week when we continue this conversation and dive into the underbelly of working on three wishes for each of us and who is left to grant our wishes. (laughs) Yes, who was left to grant our wishes? It wasn't Amy Grant, that's for sure. Uh, No no offense at all. That was, that sounded bad. She was, Amy Grant is is an angel, right? She's a saint. Um, Excuse me. If you guys have any questions that you guys want answered, hey, leave them in the comments. Uh, Instagram, you can find us at, at Live and Learn Show. And uh, on Facebook, same thing, at Live and Learn Show. And then for me personally, on Instagram and Facebook, it's at MikeHazen.Realtor. It's Mike, H-A-Z-A-N.Realtor on both Instagram and Facebook. Henry, how about you? You can find me on Instagram or Facebook at InspiringYou.co. And this podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes. Please consult with your health practitioner if you have a medical condition. So thank you everybody for listening. Please connect and follow us on social media and please share our podcast. Yes, share. It's all about sharing, right? Sharing is caring. Thanks everyone. (laughs) 